0: Hey, 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 hey! Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the January 3rd, 2023 edition of Ask a Leader. Happy New Year. I'm going to put everyone through their paces this year, just like last year and the other 11, 12 years. So uh, get ready. Today's super complicated and selfless leaders are going to bring us through the utility metering technical details with justice as the overlying theme. But it's all of us that are affected. We've all got skin in this game. My guests for the whole hour are Espy Vielma, Executive Director of Environmental Justice Coalition for Water Dave Rosenfeld of the Solar Rights Alliance. They're bringing both of them useful insights about trends and policies pertaining to electricity distribution. Yep, that's what we're going to do today. Just shake off those New Year's parties and uh, stay with us. We'll be right back after a station break. Welcome back to the show. My guests for the full hour are Espe Viedma, Executive Director of Environmental Justice for Water, and David Rosenfeld of the Solar Rights Alliance. I'm giving a pretty brief introduction of both of them. We've got lots to cover. As an executive director of Environmental Justice Coalition for Water, SB's recruited community leaders to participate in an integrated group there. She's also founder and executive director of Cafe Co-op, a San Joaquin Valley nonprofit business incubator and accelerator. She co-founded the annual H2O hackathon now in its sixth year. That's a lot of work with all the bobbing and weaving and national leadership and uh, pandemic uh, horizons there. She previously served on the first Agricultural and Technology Summit in San Joaquin County on the Environmental Justice Advisory Board for the San Joaquin Valley Air Pollution Control District and served on the advisory board for the Central Valley New Market Tax Credit, a certified development entity on the San Joaquin Valley. And she served on the San Joaquin Valley Rail Committee. ESPY's continue her four-year statewide campaign raising awareness of the environmental justice movement advocating for disadvantaged communities. ESPY's completed her bachelor's degree in Spanish and Chicano studies at the University of California, Berkeley, and was a Woodrow Wilson Public Policy International Affairs Fellow at the University of Texas, Austin. My other guest is David Rosenfeld. He's the executive director of the Solar Rights Alliance a statewide nonprofit association of California solar users. We include homeowners, renters, businesses, nonprofits, schools, and others from all parts of California and all walks of life. So that's why we all have skin in this game, folks. Uh, Everybody's involved here. David is as well the proprietor of Rosenfeld Consulting, LLC. Dave's been a community organizer for over 20 years with organizations, including Stand for Oregon Children. Prior to joining Solar Rights Alliance, David led a successful statewide ballot measure in Oregon to restore career technical education for high schoolers. That's huge. Before that, he was the executive director of Osberg. That's the Oregon Public Interest Group Research Group, led 40,000 members to successfully lower health insurance premiums for consumers and combat government corruption and previously he was the national campus program director of the public interest network he completed his bachelor's of arts in political science at rutgers university vilma i believe you're coming to us from stockton this morning yes good morning good. i'm coming from stockton and dave you're coming to us from portland today oregon
1: that's right. I used to live in California for many, many years, but my wife is an Oregonian, and she's the boss, so we moved here a couple of years ago, and I get the best of both worlds.
0: You are planning in both, uh, both. At least you're in the same time zone with those. Welcome to Ask a Leader, SP Viedma, and David Rosenfeld. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Well, thank you. So first... I, I have to provide pretty brief introductions. There's a lot of aspects to the responsibilities and the bios that I talked about. It's, but it's important for our listeners to hear your association with the policy matters of concern on this program. As previous guests of mine have been appeared on this show, they've had different alliances. They've had different affiliations and takes and biases with all the utility stories that we've covered here on Escalator it's complicated and everywhere i turned to look for who could unpack the California Public Utility Commission vote last month it's you know there's everybody has some kind of a a buddy that might sort of taint their takes and i'm i'm happy that a reliable grassroots Member of my brain trust handed me over. He said, "Talk to Esme, and she brings David with her. So why don't you two, in a shorthand? We're going to ask for lots of shorthand because we're covering so much. What your affiliations are that can distinguish you, and help us understand your whether what kind of a portfolio, what kind of agenda you bring to unpacking." what the California Public Utilities Commission has been working on and unanimously approved. We'll, we'll get to what they approve, but tell us what what your affiliations are and your agendas are in a shorthand, both of you.
1: s p why don't you go first?
0: Okay. Good
2: morning again. This is Esperanza Vielma, and I go by Espy, and so basically... For the Environmental Justice Coalition for Water, we're part of a larger coalition as well, Coalition for Environmental Equity and Economics, simply referred as the Triple E. We have been working together and basically fighting together with Green the Church, and that's with uh, Pastor Ambrose Carroll, and with another um, coalition, which is COFEM, and that's with Francisco Paco Moreno. Who is an advocate for um, social justice and is basically heads up the Council of Mexican Federations in North America, along with many other coalitions that are part of the Triple E. That basically we're looking for, you know, we work together: environmental justice, immigrant rights, and faith-based coalition that we have working together to make sure that the decisions moving forward as it pertains to solar in energy is equitable and that it is attainable for our environmental justice communities. That's where our coalition is together with these other groups that are all looking for the environmental justice communities and our communities that are working class communities. And so it's a statewide coalition that we have worked on and formed in order to inform our community members and be able to let also the Public Utilities commissioners and other legislators about what are some of the you know potential policies that are affecting our, our environmental justice communities. That's where where we come from in in the, in the summation and we do have a website which is e truthorg
0: Thank you for that Dave.
1: Yeah, so it's been really great to work with Environmental Justice Coalition for water and the larger coalition, CEEE, and I'll talk about why in just a second. Um, So the Solar Rights Alliance is, as you said earlier, we're the nonprofit association of California solar users. And our mission is that everyone has the right to make energy from the sun without unreasonable interference from the utility. So we keep track of what the politicians, the regulators, and the utilities are up to. And then we alert the public when there is a threat to people's right to go solar or where there's an opportunity for more people to get solar. And um, we have about 100,000 people in our network, mostly existing solar users. But, you know, we right from the very beginning, our whole story is that, you know, just 15 years ago, there wasn't very much rooftop solar in California. And if you wanted it, you had to be either wealthy or very, very technical. And thanks to policies that leaders like Arnold Schwarzenegger put on the books and the legislature at the time 15, 20 years ago, you don't have to be either now to get solar. And so last year we have data, 2021, just under half of all the new solar was going into middle and working class neighborhoods. And there's a million and a half rooftops now that are powered by solar energy. And I think the way that we've always thought about it is going like everyone who wants solar should be able to get it. It's something where like a million and a half solar rooftops is just the beginning. Um, how can we get this into the hands of every renter, homeowner, church, school, business, farm? that wants to power themselves through solar. And so, you know, we're obviously, we want to defend the investments of the people, the one and a half million Californians who have already done it. But we also are essentially want to defend the future decisions of, you know, tens of millions of Californians going forward. And um, the reasons are just so manifold that I assume we're going to unpack that in the next hour but you know we thought that it was you know essential early on we wanted to just ally with awesome community organizations like the one that Esperanza runs to really just do that to defend and expand um the right to go solar so that everybody has the opportunity to use this amazing technology to improve their lives and improve the planet
0: and dave i just want to tack on one other uh, entity responsible for incentivizing the solar panel adoption because he spoke here at UC Irvine after he Secretary of Energy under in the Obama administration, Secretary Chu, also codified that. So And, and he's very proud. He showed us a chart, a graph of how the adoption spiked in his administration. So I just want to bring up that federal entity so we all know all these parts. When we're voters and we're holding people accountable, all those people contributed to those incentives. So I just need to shoehorn that in there while we're talking about this. So
1: It's absolutely right. I mean, just to just pause on that for a moment. I mean, California's Rooftop solar success did not come overnight, and it did not come just because it was preordained. It happened because leaders intentionally created policies that had been pushed by grassroots leaders, by the public, and they put those policies in place sometimes more than 20 years ago, and it's taken a long time to get to the point where this is an affordable technology for regular people, and as we're going to get into, you know, th- th- that's what makes the decision by the CPUC with presumably the blessing of Governor Newsom, a real disappointment and a very different direction than the one that leaders of the past, including Secretary Chu, and for that matter, President Biden, um, have made. And, you know, California is truly at a crossroads now, and, and we'll get into it.
0: Right. And I just, a quick, a little, a civic lesson that the five California public utility commissioners, they are nominated or... They're appointed and the, uh, by the governor, the, but the, there is a confirmation that must come from the California Senate. So let's enter now. This is, I'm really putting you guys through your paces here. I apologize, but, you know, this is, this is what we have to do because it's just so complicated and so affecting all of us. The status quo, then, of our energy bill. It's a mouthful. Could you break down the array of choices that ratepayers had before the California Public Utility Commission's ultimate decision in the third week of December, and it was no accident. I don't imagine that they scheduled that as people were starting to think about holiday cards and fit, uh, if their fruitcakes had aged enough. This the timing is always suspect when you're getting this close to the holidays when you make policy. So, where what's what's been the status quo pre? cpuc vote on that net energy metering change
1: well i mean could we just back up before sure. we do net energy metering and i think as you know i can't see you but i think you'll agree is the status quo the true status quo is one where working and middle class people can't afford electricity that we're yes. a status quo okay. where the utilities in their insatiable quest for profits have gotten away with increasing the cost of electricity year-over-year-over-year-over-year-over-year, eye-popping rate hikes that have put now, you know, average people really in a position where they have to choose between paying their utility bill and buying groceries. And meanwhile, the utilities have walked away with record profits year-over-year-over-year. And we have, you know, one utility that has literally been, you know, called by a judge. It's just a criminal enterprise um, committing literally crimes against, you know, the people of California, burned down significant parts of the state, ruined lives, caused massive amounts of death. And then just a few years after all of that, the CEO of PG&E walks away with a $50 million paycheck. And um, all of this has been um, allowed at the hands of the supposed regulators, the CPUC. You know, and then on top of that, because of climate change and, and the increasing prevalence of wildfires, now people almost almost every year have to deal with blackouts um, for an extended period of time, causing a week's worth of groceries to spoil, causing people who rely on their medicine uh, to stay cold, to put their lives at risk, causing people who rely on dialysis machines and wheelchairs uh, that can't get charged. And when you don't have that, then you at least have a week of flex alert hell where um, you're in danger of doing that, putting, you know, just creating incredible amounts of anxiety and stress. That's the status quo. Well, And one more thing, and,
0: the blackout will complicate an emergency management maneuvering around a wildfire. That, that's really, that's, that was another thing that hung over. That's right absolutely there. right.
1: That's absolutely right. And SB, you work with frontline communities, you know, even more closely than I do. So, I mean, I'm curious your take on, I mean, even before we talk about solar, just what is the reality for people on the ground with respect to, you know, energy? So
2: the reality for the communities that we work with is that as individuals, you know, some of the the situations that they have is their utility bills are on the rise, like all Californians, but like what we were talking about earlier is that if you are in the communities that we serve in our environmental justice, lower income communities, you know, those bills that you're talking about for energy, as we went around the state working with our allies, you know, could be upwards towards like $600 for a home, that you know, like a three-bedroom home, and then and um, these folks are on a limited income, so they're able to get then on a program through the utilities companies where they lower their overall bill. But that is still you're talking about $200, and especially like if we're talking about vulnerable communities, you know, seniors, what have you, that are relying on either heat for, you know, our cold winter months or in the summertime air conditioning, especially for those folks that have, you know, different kind of medical conditions. And so that it's not attainable as far as like a livable component, the utility statements that they currently have. So the solar would make that affordable for them and and attainable as far as them being able to live in their communities and then put more money back into the economic development of their communities as well but that's the current situation that our folks are facing. And that also goes along with our small businesses and speaking to the small businesses that serve and work in our environmental justice communities, their bills are, you know, the thousands of dollars and they're also looking to get solar. And um, like we'll get into more of the details of this decision, but now there's going to be, you know, some mad dash for those that can obtain solar and then for those that can't, we really don't have the answer for that for them right now. But just here in Northern California, where we're at, where I'm at, you know, there was flooding that took place. So there were power outages all across, for example, the, the city of Stockton and the county of San Joaquin. And for those community members that were in the environmental justice communities, there was just, it wasn't fast enough to get things up and powered. So like Dave said, you know, you're talking about like, yeah, maybe food spoilage, but then if they're flooded in, then, you know, how long is it going to take to get folks out there and they don't have any kind of solar or battery backup, which if they did, at least will hold them over for, you know, a day or so so that they can then get assistance and help. And this is a reality that our communities are facing, you know, as we move forward into the future with climate change. And so this is something that needs to be taken into account, and this is what we've been pushing, is the equity statement for our environmental justice community members, because it is a different reality because they don't have the access to solar in the same manner, nor do they have even, if they don't have solar, then they don't have the battery backup. So that's those are some of the things that have happened in the past. And, you know, folks have um, in our coalition have told those stories of where people you know didn't have Access to heat, and weren't you know were stuck there with without any kind of access to heat for for a couple of days, and so then they were distributing blankets, what have you. And we're talking about in this first world economy that is the state of California to have this happen, is just it's it's, it's unnecessary, to say the least. And then, and
1: then out of the status quo that we you know we're trying to describe for you. Yes there's been this one solution, you know, which is rooftop solar and increasingly battery storage. And it has emerged in the last, you know, bunch of years. It is the only solution that works. It's the only solution that consumers trust. It's the only solution that actually gives people a real way to manage their energy bills and get themselves to not be so dependent on the utilities and then the corrupt government and incompetent government, in my opinion, that, you know, oversees them. And as we were saying earlier, like we have just now gotten to a point where, you know, working communities, you know, people with not a lot of money um, have been able to afford getting rooftop solar. And we were just at that point. And right when, you know, that this could go to scale, when, when your, your average working class family, whether they're a homeowner or a renter, is able to get solar and afford it, the CPUC, you know, with Governor Newsom's blessing, made some changes that is going to make it almost impossible for them to get it. And and and, and so I'm, I'm sorry we, we went on like that. No, no, this is all what like we the wanted. Policy details, but that's... It's essential. That's the landscape.
0: Right, yeah. right. The, for those of you who've just joined us, my guests are Espe Vielma, Executive Director of the Environmental Justice Coalition for Water, and David Rosenfeld, the Executive Director for the Solar Rights Alliance. We're talking about the energy picture, the the electricity picture here in California around the California Public Utilities Commission's recent vote to, in a sense, it's it's a disincentivization of solar adoption. And as we were talking in preparation for this, SBA, and you're, and you're talking uh, briefly about that too, Dave, is that the 50000 to $100,000 income Household was moving into adoption, greater adoption of that, and this is the talking point everybody was hearing. Which is, and you can talk about how that argument's been used and carried by different entities. The fact, the the, the matter of the claim that the California Public Utilities Commission has made that lower income households have subsidized the higher income solar adopting. Household. So that has been a point that's been made, and you can, both of you, take that up, how that was carried by so many different entities right up and through that hearing the last December with CPUC.
1: Just, just a friendly, friendly amendment to what you said. That argument was not carried by very many entities. It was carried by the utilities. It was carried by a small handful of utility surrogates. It was carried by the CPUC. And it was carried by a handful of Sacramento insiders. We can probably count on the number on our hands, the number of actual like bona fide, you know, leaders or entities that were carrying this fake argument that rooftop solar is responsible for increasing electricity bills. On the other side, you had a coalition that was that was more than six hundred nonprofit organizations, cities, school districts, elect you know, other elected officials, members of Congress environmental justice organizations, um, affordable housing organizations that were essentially calling that argument nonsense and pointing out the actual truth, which is that rooftop solar reduces the cost of the electrical grid, whether or not you have solar. It saves everyone money, whether or not you have solar. And this was, to, to appropriate a phrase that's been used in national politics, this was the big lie that the leaders of the state with the assistance of the utilities foisted on the debate. And it, it is just absolute and utter nonsense. Rooftop solar saves everyone money. And, and most, most people, most organizations that were in this debate were saying rooftop solar saves everyone money. And it was simply the utilities, their surrogates, and the government that were saying otherwise.
0: Espe, did you have something to add to that, or shall we proceed with what happened the day of the vote? I think we could proceed. Okay, thank you. So as as Dave was referring to, the number of the breakdown of those that were interested in, that supports the net energy metering 2.0, that was the status quo before the vote, that attending that, I attended most of that meeting. I didn't get to the at the very beginning, but it became apparent that there weren't that many people that supported the change. That's one thing. And I I just want to quickly say, the CPUC didn't make it more. They did not incentivize attending the meeting either. It was hard to watch. It was hard to know who was talking. They didn't label the commissioners in their the Zoom frames that they were uh, participating in. It was a, there was a fleeting flash of one label of one of the commissioners. So and the timing was sort of make it hard for people to put away every uh, all the demands of the season aside to. Listen to some very technical discussions of energy distribution, distributed versus the centralized energy, and that's a theme we'll bring in here about access and reliability, resilience, and that kind of a thing. So, they they heard, they heard a preponderance of support of the status quo, not the rule change, and they they had prepared remarks as though they the unanimous decision five zero to change this. Metering system. They were ready. There wasn't, the input had absolutely zero bearing on that. So I don't know if there are things you would like to say about how that meeting transpired. I believe both of you, I know Dave was there, he was handling my direct message questions that day. But um, so talk about the process on the day of the CPUC unanimous vote.
1: Go for it, Essie. Well,
0: the day of the
2: unanimous vote, was similar to some of the other days uh, that we had already attended in person Mm -hmm. um, and also online with the CPUC where we would have hundreds of folks on the call and rallies throughout the state and making public comment in person. And all of those public comments and statements were to basically go back to the drawing board with this proposed NEM 3.0 and that it wasn't meeting the needs not only of our environmental justice communities, but mm-hmm. all of our communities in California. And the ask was always for the CPUC commissioners to look at what they were proposing and it did not. It was not a proposal that that was good for not just the, the solar industry as they claim, but like I said, for Californians and especially our most vulnerable communities. So again, this last time that we were on the call. It was the same. It was overwhelming. Everyone was there. The process is is long. It's, you're on the call for various hours. You don't know when you're going to be called. You just have to be ready. So it's very difficult for a lot of the public to be on a phone call for several hours. And sometimes it's up to the whole entire day that you're on the call to wait to when you're going to make your public comment. And... Like, Claudia, like you're saying, you really don't know who's speaking and when, and so it makes it very difficult. But nonetheless, we were there. We had other community members that were there, and they were committed to making their point of view, basically, to to speak on behalf of their communities, whichever that community was that they were representing. But at the end of the day, the commissioners voted unanimously for the proposed decision, irregardless of what the community members were saying throughout the state of California that day and previous to that day through, like I said, organized um, action throughout the state of California and for the previous public hearings that they had. And I think Dave can speak to the fact of how we organized together a lot of the public comments as far as letters and what have you that were sent in. So but that's that's basically what what happened, and it was for those that were just barely getting involved at a level where they think civic engagement was going to make a difference, I think they really saw you know the effects of that other entities can have on public commissioners so um maybe Dave, you want to and, talk more about like you know as we built up to
0: that and particular and Dave, Dave before you comment on that, I just want to insert a not so subtle word choice from the president uh, president reynolds a uh, uh, president of the commission when her very opening line to respond to that the public comments she referred to them as feelings and i thought that dismissal of all the body of activism and work that dismissal was was really um a power play that I thought was very unseemly. So, the, so now think of that. That's the take, listeners, <laughs> that the Public Utilities Commission has about all the work that was done, and just one the president saying feelings versus comments and testimony. So, think of that while Dave is answering to Esby's points about that meeting. I'm
1: I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, I noticed that too, Claudia, and. Um, it just, it, it, it's like a combination of utility power and just technocratic indifference to the public. I mean, this is when we talk about the elites, this is that, that phrase, that just condescending phrase tells you everything, but I do want to just be, you know, I, what I don't want people to go is you, that, that all that work was for naught because it actually made a big difference. Okay. And so let me just tell oh, you a little yeah. bit more about what the last two years has been like. So first off, just to pivot off what SB just said, this was probably one of the largest grassroots um, mobilizing efforts that California has seen in recent history. More, And certainly it was the largest that the CPUC has ever seen in its history. More than 170,000 people submitted a public comment. On multiple occasions, thousands of people rallied literally in the streets all over the state. A few weeks before the CPUC made their decision there were 10 rallies on the same day with hundreds and hundreds of people. The media coverage on this was overwhelming and, for the most part, generally inclined in our favor. Most of the state's newspapers came out, you know, and uh, basically took our side on this whole thing. As I mentioned, over 600 nonprofits, cities, school districts, members of Congress, you know, it, it was an extraordinary effort. But let's just remember what, you know, and obviously like what you said, by the time the CPUC voted, they had made up their mind. You know, it didn't matter what people were going to say. But, and this is a really important but, we avoided a knockout punch to solar. And this is small comfort to the millions of people who need solar and aren't going to be able to get it in the near future. But it's a story that needs to be told because the CPUC's first proposal about a year ago was would have literally just burned rooftop solar to the ground. It um, would have made retroactive changes on the one and a half million existing solar users. And it would have, in addition to... Which are to happening. Flashing,
0: those, those, I just want to say, right? Dave, the, the retroactive uh, is also... Uh, and And people that are trying to electrify, decarbonize their homes... Uh, by, and so they need to add additional panels to service, whether it's the car plug-in, it's the stove unit, it's the heat pumps. So all, all of those things are happening while we're looking at what the rates are and changes. That's right. That's
1: right. That's right. So a year ago, the CPUC proposed to make retroactive changes on existing solar users, but their final decision didn't. That's good. Okay. A year ago, the CPUC proposed to charge everyone who has solar a solar tax. Of $700 a year or more just for having solar panels on their rooftop, their final decision did not include a solar tax. What their final decision did include was still debilitate the rooftop solar in that it's, it's going to basically extend the payback period, going to reduce the credit that you get for sharing your extra energy with the grid by almost 80%. And that's going to make it so that you just won't recoup your investment in a reasonable amount of time, but what we, all that grassroots organizing, what it did avoid was the knockout punch of the solar tax. And that's important because had that solar tax gone into effect, then it would be game over for rooftop solar. There's just no way that anyone would be able to do it, even if you were able to afford a battery, which we'll get into, I assume, in a bit. Uh, yes. But what they so, – so that's, that's, so that's big. Like, we, we live to fight another day. But these next couple of years are going to be really, really rough – for individuals and households and churches that want to go solar. And essentially what we need to now wait for is a future where batteries are cheap enough that you can get it with the solar and and, and essentially make up your investment. But right now, batteries are too expensive for most people um, and just not quite ready for prime time for your average middle and working class family. And so for the next few years, at least, it's going to be very, very difficult for people to get solar unless you get in under the deadline of April 14th, but because we were able to avoid, we were able to, to defeat the solar tax and defeat those retroactive changes on existing solar users, you know, we lived to fight another day. And that was only because of the grassroots organizing.
0: And that's a phenomenal and, um, achievement with what was going on all over the, the globe. So that's, that's t- something, that kind of follow-up is a real feat of the, the grassroots organizing. I just want to make listeners understand totally, that too.
1: Totally, totally. And it's crazy that all that organizing, that that the net result was that we avoided the knockout punch. You know, like, it would have been great if all that organizing meant that we could keep rooftop solar growing, that we could take the next step and get it into the hands of 10 million solar users over the next, you know, five to 10 years. So I'm still outraged that all of that organizing, what we can look back on is go, we killed the solar tax. We avoided the knockout punch. We lived to fight another day. But that's such as life. And so I just want, you know, if you were one of the people that spoke out, you know, know that that work really, really made a difference. And, you know, I think our children are going to thank us for that. But it's, you know, the next couple of years are still going to be pretty rough. The utilities got at least one of the things that they wanted, and that one thing is, is, is pretty devastating.
0: Espe, About the meeting and the, the what uh, other things that were accomplished with that outpouring and mobilizing. I, did you want to add more to the meeting? That mobilization had Accomplished or uh, other unadd- things that hadn't that Dave has not addressed.
2: Well, I think that the actual organizing, like Dave said, it would it strengthened our communities, especially like in our environmental justice communities. And the fact that they are um, understanding that what the CPUC is, the decision making power, and how it affects our lives, and how they can be involved and moving forward. And be able to, you know, give their input Mm
1: -hmm. as
2: we move forward and what's going to be the future. What are some of the other legislation that potentially help them attain rooftop solar and solar batteries? Because the decision itself is going to affect them. And I think this is going to have an opportunity in, you know, the situation that we're in where we're going to be able to work with our community members on the education front. So the actual meeting itself, I think, was a demonstration of the power that they have as community members. So I think that, you know, moving forward, that's going to be something that that they can take with them, and we can work together to see what what we can do as a
0: coalition. And I I guess we could also say that with all of the mobilizing and the pursuant uh, uh, concomitant Media coverage—it created a lot more traction about a very technical process—that put this on more people's radars. To again, to fight another day, or I could say, this—the the name, the episode title could be to to pay another bill. So, i um, so I know listeners that are UCI adjacent—they're thinking of our Orange County Power Authority and wanting to know. I mean, because we haven't relied on them for public announcements, public. Uh, clarity in how they're operating, so we're we're dealing with a pretty, uh, a pretty damaged sort of entity here. So we're not c- exactly counting on them. So I'm asking you perhaps to explain how the rates, the net energy metering 3.0, it would affect people that are in community choice energy entities.
1: Yeah, this is a great question, and in a lot of ways, our, our community choice entities now have a decision to make. Are they going to follow what the CPUC just voted, or are they going to hold the line and stand up for their residents? And so this is where we can get into the details of what the CPUC decided to do.
0: Absolutely, please.
1: So what they're dealing with, and this is what net metering is called, so the, the policy is called Net Energy Metering, or NEM, and it's all about the credit that solar users get the compensation that solar users get for sharing their extra solar energy with the grid. One of the cool things about solar is, you know, you, you, you put the solar panels on your roof, you, you make an investment, um, or you lease it, or you do a power purchasing agreement. In some way, shape, or form, you're getting solar panels put on your roof. And most of that energy, when it's being made, you're using it right there to power your fridge or run your AC or your heater or whatever. But a lot of times you're making extra energy. And when you do, that energy goes out, you know, literally out the wires, spins your meter backwards, it goes into your neighborhood, and then the utility sells that energy to your neighbors and then compensates you at the same level that they sold it to your neighbors, which makes sense. The utility didn't spend a dime making that energy. You did. And so if they're going to sell it to your neighbors for 30 cents a kilowatt hour, then they better darn well compensate you 30 cents a kilowatt hour for that. There's no reason for the utilities to make a profit off the energy that you paid for and made. And so that's what the status quo has been. And because of that arrangement, that's how solar has been able to get increasingly more affordable for middle and working class people. What the CPUC did was they slashed that credit from an average of 30 cents a kilowatt hour down to like five cents, give or take. In some places, it'll start a little bit higher, but not that much higher. And then it eventually goes down to like virtually nothing. And that's going to you know, just make it much less affordable um, and, and mm-hmm. basically unaffordable for your average, average household. So that's what the CPUC decided to do. The community choice entities do not have to follow what the CPUC decided. They can choose to keep their net metering program at the, same, at, at the status quo, essentially. They could choose to say, look, you're the one that is investing in this energy. You're the one that's made this energy. And so if we're going to sell your energy to your neighbors for 30 cents a kilowatt hour, we will continue to compensate you 30 cents a kilowatt hour or whatever it is. So CCAs don't have to follow the CPUC's lead. They don't have to do the utilities bidding. They can actually stand up for the residents that they represent and continue to give them that deal. And so if you're, you know, within, you know, the Orange County Joint Power Authority, this is a time for you to contact them and contact the elected officials who advise them and make it really, really clear what you expect them to do. And th- that could be a way with which many, many people, at least the ones that are lucky enough to be served by a CCA, could actually ensure that rooftop solar continues to grow in those jurisdictions. We will have to see what they do, Well, this the, is an opportunity for leadership, local leadership.
0: And the confounding part, I'm you just keep your thought here, but I want to just tack right on to the status quo for the joint powers agreement in Orange County Power Authority here for our community choice entity is that we have a new composition in the Irvine City Council, and we have a new composition in the Huntington Beach Council that they just want to pull out, period. They're just anti uh, any kind of innovative anything. So we have that moving leadership target. There's two representatives of the city of Irvine on the Joint Powers Agreement Board and one in Huntington Beach. So I don't know if there's a way... But SB can answer to what those moving targets mean and the, that we've already been dealing with a very opaque entity. You know, what kind of uh, suggestions you have as grassroots people to track what's being done, put, put pressure for the benefit of the consumer?
2: Well, I think that as far as movement is concerned with the, um, with the residents is education and if they don't have solar as of now the education of the decision of the nem 3.0 decision that was made and how they can expand their current rooftop solar now but i think that them understanding that as far as you know what that means the bottom line and being able to replicate on a smaller level the movement of information and information dissemination and then getting that so that they can then, like Dave said, target the elected officials and letting them know as community members that they want to maintain their current incentive programs that they have, the incentives for their solar, for those that do have solar, and then for those that are thinking of having solar, you know, moving quite quickly on it. And so this this way they can go and and speak to their elected officials, like you said, if that's what's taking place with Irvine and and Huntington Beach. Because I think it's at a more local level where the residents can, you know, make their voices heard, especially because those officials need, need um, the elected public officials, you know, need the public to let them know that, you know, they're the ones that are voting them in. So therefore, they um, this is something that's going to, um, you know, ease the cost of utilities. And it's nothing that's going to affect them as an elected official to just, continue to have the um, CCA. So I think anything that they can do as far as uh, dissemination of information to others, their neighbors, just with that and going to a city council meeting and making their voices heard that they want to continue with the CCA, like Dave said, so that they can, you know, possibly continue to get the credit. And, and the main thing with this is information and dissemination of information and then making the, the action would be then to speak to their electives in that public hearing that um, is the city council meeting and even as individuals or writing letters, I think is going to be very significant for them to, to take place. But education is the first thing that needs to happen.
1: Well, and I think, you know, I think this is actually a place where everyday people can cut through the technocratic jargon and put the conversation on their terms, because at its essence, this is not a very complicated thing. You know, electricity rates are really expensive because it costs a lot to move electricity from far, that gets generated from faraway places into the cities. Yep. It's the long-distance power lines that, that drive up the cost. It also happens to be the long-distance power lines that utilities profit from. They make a 7 to 10% profit off of every dollar they spend building and maintaining long-distance power lines. So the utilities will go, oh, the electricity that gets generated from far away, solar farms and wind farms and power plants is really cheap. But how is that cheap? Why is it then that you're still you know, selling it for 30, 40 cents a kilowatt hour? It's because of those long distance power lines. Energy that's made locally doesn't use those long distance power lines. So of course, you know, that, that's, that's the reality. And so local people don't have to understand the intricacies of this stuff. They can just go, we want solar. We want more people to have access to solar. We, if we're going to invest in solar in our home or our church or our business, then we expect you to compensate us, you, the CCA, compensate us for the solar energy at the same rate that you're charging other people for the energy that you're selling. And if you don't like compensating solar users 30 cents a kilowatt hour for electricity, then you also should not charge 30 cents a kilowatt hour to other people for your electricity. Reduce your rates down to 20 cents or 10 cents. That's what's fair. And so it's this whole, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I think most people understand that intuitively, um, that the utility or the CCA does not have a right to profit off the solar energy that you invested in making. And if they want to solve the problem, they should reduce the the cost of their electricity. And if they can't do that, too bad. That's why people are going to solar. It's been the one solution that has worked for the consumer. And the, the last thing they should be doing is making it harder for people to move to the one solution just because... The utilities and the CCAs and the CPUC have failed to make energy affordable. And I think that's an argument that most people are able to make. And I think all you have to do is just go to your city council and start making that argument and then get other people to do it. And like we said, we're happy to help local people who want to make that argument, give them more information and all that kind of stuff. But I do think there doesn't need to be some big coordinated effort or a lot of detail, um, because I think the intuitive nature of this whole thing um, should carry the day.
0: Well, we're going to be uh, we'll be getting a speed dial with both of you with, because SB was talking about the information function between the ratepayer and the CCE, and that has not been in the DNA of the Orange County Power Authority. They're, they've been very opaque. And the other part of the manual we're asking for is the Huntington Beach voters voted out CCE friendly council members so that the voters dug in deep on the general election last November to uh, they voted with their feet. They don't want that climate agenda, their city performing in that capacity. So we've got a two parter is greater transparency of functioning and to essentially flip a voter constituency that wanted that's telling their conservative now council members they want out of these kinds of entities so that we, we need the two-parter manual to to deal with that here before it all blows up because it's it's not look it's not at all stable so it's sort of like it's a it's one of the it's like the big ring in the circus going on is the the strength of the institution itself then you know how it's going to perform for the ratepayers.
1: yeah that's right
0: so is there anything else that you can tell our listeners that is an effective way of responding to this, the best way to follow this folding? And if maybe you can also say what who in the press got I mean, Sammy Roth does a pretty nice job with his blog and with the L.A. Times, but maybe you take exception to how he, he's covered it. But tell us how to follow you, good media sources, and what else? To put on our list of things to do in 2023.
1: Well, I think you know, for if you're out there and you're thinking that you, the CPUC's decision will go into effect on uh, April 15th, and if you want to get solar before the CPUC's rules go into effect, if you want to essentially get solar under the status quo, you need to you need to do it pretty quickly. It's um, a matter of a detail, getting your application
0: was, together, right? It's not installation by the 14th. It's getting your paperwork correct. started. Okay. Yep, you
1: have to, you, have, you have to get your what's called your interconnection application into the utility by April 14th, and that application has to be completed and correct. You don't have to complete the insta- installation. You have a little bit of time after that to do it. And you know, the other and the thing that cuts against this, we always advise consumers yeah, never it, feel pressured into getting solar. Don't get bullied into getting solar. Due diligence, and obviously those two are now in tension. And it is true you should never feel pressured to make an investment like that. Our we're we going to be spending a lot of time over the next few months giving just trying to get good information out there for consumers who want to get solar, and also for consumers who want to get a battery, whether or not you have solar.
0: Right, and but um, there's our website, unscrupulous it, yeah. operators. We have you're you're out there being providing information about how to avoid an unscrupulous contractor to install.
1: That's right. Both CEEE, you can speak for that, and the Solar Rights Alliance. We, we have information on our websites um, about how to find a good solar company that you can trust and also what are the red flags that you ought to look for. We also take calls and you know emails and, and, and texts if people have specific questions. We have a help desk. The Solar Industry Association, their name is ALSA, C-A-L-S-S-A. They also um, are there to help consumers they have a code of ethics and they hold their member companies to it. Okay. And they're also willing to investigate if you feel like a company has, is not done right by the, by, you know, by you. So there's a lot of resources out there for you. And um, certainly you can go to the solar rights Alliance website. We've got a consumer guide. We're going to be holding webinars over the next month or so.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, e, CALSA, you know, definitely reach out to us and we're happy to help you if you, have questions about this decision, you want to know if it affects you, if you're interested in getting solar, if you're interested in getting a battery. And then if you want to do advocacy, uh, you should sign up for our organization's lists. And, you know, there's going to be a lot that we're going to be doing to make sure that we hold the line, make sure there's no solar tax, make sure there's no retroactive changes, and make sure that we can increase some of these incentives. It's not over yet. And this particular decision is done. But there's a lot that we can be doing. There's a lot our elected can be doing. There's a lot our community choice entities can be doing. So, so there's there's no reason to let up on this. we We have to keep pushing forward for the good of the public, for the good of the
0: planet. Let's be just the last few like thirty seconds to wrap what you suggest people can do besides, yeah,
2: ba- basically, yeah, to to do what Dave just said, we have all of our websites in terms of the consumer advocacy. We're also going to be assisting consumers in other languages, primarily in Spanish to be able to give them the information that they need in order to access solar and how to go about it. And then we want to continue to make sure to target public funds so we can reduce the upfront cost of solar and battery storage for all of our communities, especially our environmental justice communities. So that's one of the things we want to help strengthen and streamline and, like we said, continue to educate so that our community members can have access to solar and understanding that it's a straightforward process and what they need to do and how they need to be um, made aware as, as consumers. That's basically what our jobs are now moving forward.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for that. And maybe we at Community Radio can offer some PSA production kind of assistance. So I want to thank you both, S.B. and Dave, for your time and all the heft of your work you've been doing. And um, let's let's keep this conversation going as things develop, Okay. Thank you.
2: Thank you for having us. Thank Uh
0: you. My guests are Espe Vielma, Executive Director of Environmental Justice Coalition for Water, and David Rosenfeld of the Solar Rights Alliance, and will continue to watch this and respond as other energy developments take place. Well, that's my wrap. Next week, my guest will be Sarah Wallace Goodman, UCI's political science professor, and she'll talk about her new book, out, entitled Pandemic Politics, the Deadly Toll of Partisanship in the Age of COVID. Happy New Year. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening.